Good morning, good morning. Good to see some faces here I haven't seen in a while. Good to have you awake, Paul. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Hey, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, just make you aware, we had a, was a funeral service yesterday for the e family. Just be praying for Glenn's family. His dad had passed away in September. They were able to have the funeral uh, yesterday. So prayers for all the e-buyer clan. I want to install a bumper sticker on your life today if I can do that. Um, I don't know what slogan, frames, whatever it is that you're trying to live your life by, but there are some thoughts that are most helpful to find their way into our daily routines and our daily spaces, right? So I'm going to pick up just a phrase from the Apostle Paul here, and I'm going to say, if, if, if you could just say one thing to yourself every day of your life, this would probably be the thing you'd want to say. And his little phrase is going to be, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? There's such power in that thought to be able to be in whatever place you are in your life, whatever age you are in your life, whatever season you are in your life, whatever is going well for you, whatever you look back in your life with regret, a sense of failure, where you didn't do enough, but you can't go back and fix that now. You did something that harmed others in your life and you wish that had never happened. You know, these things pile up on us and they travel with us to a moment in our life where, okay, now I'm looking out at life today. And I'm wondering, what's my life going to be like today? You know, in light of that. Or what's my future going to be like in light of that? Well, what if you could stand with confidence in every day of your life and know by the grace of God, I am what I am? What if that informed every moment of where you are? Well, we're going to visit the Apostle Paul today, and he's going to introduce us to that phrase here in, in chapter 15. But, but don't forget who we're dealing with here. Right? He is the famous Apostle Paul who is a proclaimer of the gospel. He's going to introduce the gospel to us as we look in this passage again. He is known around the world a guy who lived thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, and yet you and I know this man. He lived a life that made a difference, didn't he? He lived a life of power and influence. But that's not where his life story started, right? This great proclaimer of the gospel got his start as being a persecutor of the gospel. But he didn't know that. It's not like he knew in his life that, you know what, I, I'm, I'm probably hacking God off right now every day of my life. God is probably so mad at me, right? I don't think he lived his life that way. I think he thought he was on track. I think he thought he was living a life that this is what you do with your life. This is, I'm zealous for some things. I've got some ideas. I'm really sincere about them. I'm willing to put my life on the line and I'm chasing down these people with this crazy message about Christus. And I'm going to kill every one of them and get them off the streets. And then he's going to have an encounter with God that's going to totally change the trajectory of his life. I, I think most of us can be confident that even no matter what our background is, I don't know if any of us have a background that we were as much of an opposer of God as Paul was. And yet, look at the rest of his life. How did that happen? How did Paul get to this different script of a life? Well, his little phrase there, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I'm going to say that this is the ultimate principle of my life. It is the definer of whoever we are. It is the determiner, the historic precedent of our life. And we got a lot of history in our, in our world, in our personal lives. The Supreme Court, the final ruling. You can't appeal this to anything greater it's the constitution and the fundamental of all of our lives. So let's see how we get to this verse. Let's start in the beginning again. We've, we've been through these verses, but we'll just read through them again. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1. 
Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. But I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Let's pray. Father, these words are beyond important to us because they say something about our lives that maybe nothing else in our life is saying. But our experience, our troubles, the struggles in this world, things about ourselves that we just can't stand, well, those all have access to us. They all speak effectively into our souls. Well, these words, we want them to have access to us. These words, we want them to have the, the summarizing type statement feel that Paul had when he looked at his own life, persecutor that he was. Yet what a script he got to live. So God, would you put us in the pathway of this passage? Lord, let it, let it do its damage to the things that are messing our world up. Lord, may it be our statement in life. By the grace of God, I am what I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Where do you, where do you go when, when your life comes into the frame of what God is doing, right? There's something here. It's almost like if this were a movie and we had dramatic moving music starting out, this, this picture frame starts the movie focused in on the gospel. Right? We get this gospel of first importance. It's being reminded to us. And, and then Paul begins to widen out from that gospel. And when he does, other people and their lives come into the picture frame. So then there's there's Cephas, and there's the 12, and we keep getting back a little farther, and then there's these 500 people that saw Jesus in his resurrected state, and then there's James, and then there's the other apostles, and, and finally into the frame comes the apostle Paul. What do you think the apostle Paul is going to say in that moment? He has just shared with us this incredible news about the gospel, its power, what it is, and there he sees himself in the picture frame with the gospel. I don't know what you do, right? When you dig up an old photo and you knew you were in that picture, do you, do you look for yourself? It's probably the first thing you do, right? You go, oh, where was I? Oh, that was so long ago. You know, I don't know. Maybe I would think the Apostle Paul would say, oh, yeah, I remember that shirt. I just got that shirt. That was really cool. That was one of my favorites. You know, I had my Ray-Bans on, had more hair. You know, I was, just look, I was looking good that day. I, I, was, I was looking pretty good that day, man. But strangely, that's not what Paul sounds like here. Right? When, when the gospel gets presented and these other pieces get into the picture frame, we back up and we hear there was James, then an appearance to all the apostles, and then last of all, one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And look at Paul's next thought. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Right, those aren't some feel-good words, are they? He just heard the gospel. He just presented to us the gospel. 
He just declared to us this great thing that God has done. But yet when he looks at himself in the presence of the gospel, the words that come to Paul are, I'm the least and I'm unworthy. I want to show us something today that that if you open your Bible and read all over the place, you're going to find that's not an unfamiliar response to God, to his presence, to the very good news of the gospel. That's not an unusual response. But that's not a popular response either. There, there almost is a silencing of that field taking place today. That when we, when we come to the gospel, you know, we, we want, it's good. It's, it's good news. We, we don't want to bump into something that feels like, I am such a loser. <laughs> I am the least. I am unworthy. There's something that feels almost even wrong about that. The gospel is this wonderful, incredible good news. And it is. And God is this wonderful, incredible, gracious, loving, kind God. And he is. But do you remember some others who got around Jesus and got around the gospel and got around the God of the gospel? Remember, the gospel is by nature what it is because of God's very nature. All right, so you go back in the Old Testament, you find a man named Isaiah living life, just doing life. And one day, God captures him and sets him before the throne of God, Isaiah chapter six. And Isaiah tells that story. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and begins to describe this throne room with all of its power and buzz and all the creatures who are in awe and amazed. The presence of God is being made known to Isaiah. What does Isaiah do as he recounts and stands in that moment? Well, his first words sound a little bit like the Apostle Paul's. Woe is me. I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. There's something about this grand glory perfection of God that if you get in the picture frame with it, you're going to notice something about yourself. And it's probably not going to be very impressive. It's probably going to feel like a woe is me moment. Jesus spoke about the man, John the Baptist. And he said probably the greatest thing about John the Baptist that anybody could say, and this is the son of God. he, He said, you know, of women... There have been none born greater than John the Baptist. So this guy's got the ultimate resume. But when he explains who this Jesus of the gospel is, he tells his followers, the one coming after me, I am not worthy to carry his sandals. There's something about getting near the good news, the goodness, the graciousness, the amazement, the love, the purity, the holiness of God that puts you in touch with something about yourself. Remember one day Jesus had been doing miracles and he had a reputation. People knew that they could bring problems to him that nobody else could solve, but he could. And a Roman centurion comes and finds Jesus. That's a big deal, right? Romans and Jews don't, don't get along because Romans are oppressors and they've oppressed the Roman peop- uh, the Jewish people. They've made life miserable for them. Uh, the Romans are mistreating people on a regular basis, taking advantage of people, stealing from them, intimidating them. And this Roman centurion, this guy who's in charge of all the knuckleheads doing that, is going to find his way over to Jesus and going to ask him for a favor. I've got a servant lying in my home, paralyzed. Can you come and do something about it? And Jesus says, yes. And the next thing out of that centurion's mouth is, no, you don't don't need to come to my house. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Listen, it is a common, normal experience for humanity to get in the presence of God, to get in the picture frame with the gospel and to have a sense, I am not worthy. But what was true of Paul was true of all these guys that I just mentioned. 
whatever the trajectory of their life, it, it's not about whether they were worthy or not. It's about the grace of God. Right, I wrote this in your notes if you have notes. <clears throat> the amazing thing about each of these men is that the unfolding story of their lives will have nothing to do with their worthiness. They too will get to say this principle of all principles. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Isaiah. Isaiah, though, your resume says you are a man of unclean lips. I don't think he's making that up. I think he's sincere. Yet, he's going to speak with those lips. The words of God as a prophet to the nations. And you and I are still reading the influence of his words today. His uncleanness didn't create the trajectory of his life. The grace of God did. John the Baptist. John, I'm sure it's true. I don't think you're faking this. That you're not worthy of carrying the sandals of Jesus. But in spite of that, John, Jesus is going to come to you in order for you to baptize him. You might not be worthy to be a sandal carrier. But yet in God's purpose, you're going to fulfill a great, great role of baptizing the Son of God. That Roman centurion, make up his resume. Can you imagine the stories, the people in his background? Can you imagine when he was a young guy just coming on with the Roman army for the first time? Full of hormones, full of attitude. He's got some power. He's got some influence over people. I wonder what that sounded like for him to say to Jesus, I'm not worthy. I wonder what he meant by that. I wonder what he was thinking of in his background when he said, no, no, Jesus, you don't understand. You don't know me. If you knew me, you wouldn't come anywhere near me. I'm not worthy. And that's probably true in all kinds of ways. And we know it's spiritually true. But his life had grounds to accuse him in ways that maybe some of us can get. Right? We look back over our lives and things that we have done, things that we failed to do, people that we hurt, selfishness that ruled the day that's in our rearview mirror. I am not worthy. So what do you do? When the gospel comes on the scene, that's 1 Corinthians 15. This gospel, this good news is here and it begins to impact people and their stories get in here, right? Paul's gonna tell his story. He's in the picture frame, but Cephas is in the picture frame too. He could tell his story and James and others could all tell their story. But when he gets to Paul and he comes up with these words like all these guys and what our life speaks in the presence of the gospel is we are the least. We are unworthy. We are unclean. What do we do with those voices? Do we, do we try to silence those voices? Do we try to make it like the Bible would never, well, the Bible would never introduce that feel to us? Well, interesting. The Apostle Paul would lay claim to this early in his life as a convert, but he would continue to speak about it all the way to the end of his ministry, 1 Timothy. This is the end of Paul's Towards the end, a couple of years from the end of his ministry. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Right? That's breaking out the word unworthy. But I received mercy. Right? Mercy is a substitute word often in scripture for grace. I was this, but a big but God and the grace of God came to my life. I was this. Make no doubt about it. That is an accurate description of who I was. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's what he's saying here. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Ignorantly in unbelief. Can you just ponder that statement just for a second? I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Anybody else want to join me underneath that umbrella? Does, does that ever describe your life? 
what I did was out of ignorance and unbelief. But you know, the problem is I don't have to go back to when I was lost to say that. I could just visit last week and say, hey, what I did last week was out of ignorance and unbelief. It was as though I didn't even know God, didn't trust him. He was, he was powerless. I was full of unbelief. And therefore I panicked. I lived the whole week in fear. I was angry at anybody who came across my path. Right? Where did that come from? Well, it came from ignorance and unbelief. That's where that came from. And not just because, well, back when I was unsaved all those years ago. This is a current issue. Enough so for Paul to speak about it in his own life later on. Verse 14, he says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Right? Remember, overflowed for me. Out of what? Well, out of being a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent who acts ignorantly in unbelief. But the grace of God overflowed for me. Faith and love that are in Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And Paul, you're still... Still seeing something about yourself all these years later? Listen, there's something about this gospel and this God who, when you get around him, something about you is, is going to be felt and experienced. And, and you're more than likely going to slap a label on it. Unworthy. I'm a this, I'm a that. Something. You're going to use your own vocabulary, but you're not going to feel really chipper about yourself in that moment. Now, you know, when the Bible sounds this way, and I want to make this point this week, I want to make it again next week, and it is the way the Bible sounds, right? The Bible's not answering to anybody. The Bible's not answering to pop psychology of the 80s. It's not answering to uh, current therapeutic writers that are writing into the body of Christ that got under the influence that if you want people to be whole and you want them to be able to, to live and, and do right in life and overcome their problems, then what, what they have is a self-esteem problem. Right? Some of you are old enough to remember. That, that was the fix-all. If you could just get people to feel better about themselves, if you could just get people a good self-esteem, then, then they'd stop doing this, and they'd stop doing that, and stop doing that. And, and what morphed out of that was this sense of affirmation and positivity, and everybody needed to be approved, and, and the words that are spoken, the words you speak to yourself, right? I mean, just not too many years ago, you get a flag thrown on you. You break out a word like unworthy, and I'm the least. Whoa, ah, don't say that. Don't say that about yourself. That's not what God says. Um... If you get around a perfect God and a holy God and a righteous God and the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, as a fallen creature, you will not be able to avoid these vocabulary words. You will get a sense of your unworthiness and you will get a sense of your being the least. Being the least. I, it's like, really, Paul? You feel like you're the least? That's what he said. The least is to me a, a, almost a worse word than unworthy because unworthy just means, hey, as creatures were fallen before a holy God, we're unworthy. But least, okay, now I'm comparing myself to others, right? Now there's other apostles out there and I feel like the least. Now you and I maybe pull Paul on the side and say, Paul, listen, um, a couple thousand years from now, no one's going to remember most of their names, but they're going to remember yours. You're not the least, buddy. Come on, cheer up, right? Um, somehow, when he stared at his own life, there was something about it that didn't measure up. From his vantage point, from what he could see, it didn't measure up. It didn't compare well. And it was a particular category, right? He didn't say this about every aspect of his life. I am the least of the apostles. Now that's significant, isn't it? Because for Paul, I don't know if Paul worked on cars. I don't know if he could cook. I don't know a lot about Paul's life, except that he was an apostle. That's his big claim to fame. That's his identity. 
That's the category for him that's going to matter the most. And yet he's going to break out the word, I am the least. That's what I am in touch with. All right, so can I, can I just invite you into whatever category you might do that with and I might do that with? Right, we, we're all safe from the apostle category. Don't have to worry about that. But what about the other roles that you play? The other assignments you have from God. Right, there are husbands here in the room. Do you ever feel like, husbands, you are the least of a husband? Wives, do you ever feel that way towards your husbands? Just season of life, going through some things. Nobody's getting the best part of you. Right, dads, parents, moms, dads, listen. Well, this parenting thing, there's just nothing. I mean, you know, unlike, unlike the person you married, you know, when the, when the kids show up, they come in these little cute packages and they're just so sweet and there's, there's just nothing but preciousness to them. You know, even on your wedding day, that was not your, your spouse. But these little ones, oh, you know, you just want to do right. You want to do everything right. You just, you just want to be the greatest influence. You want to have an impact on their lives. And, and yet you look in your rearview mirror and you find, I didn't always have my A game. I wasn't always available. They couldn't always get my attention. I didn't always do an adequate job providing. I had other things going on that I made more important than them. I neglected them in some ways. They were the objects of my anger. I was an angry person in their life, right? I'm the least of a good dad or a good mom. Listen, everybody, you got a category that matters to you. You got a bunch of categories that matter to you. Right? And I can look back over my life. Listen, I don't get spared from this. Um, I look back over plenty of categories in my life. And, and I, I don't like who I was in many of those moments, in many of those places. You just need to put me in the right category with others. Stick me alongside another pastor who's got abilities and influence and impact on people's lives that's different than mine, that's making uh, an effect for the kingdom of God, advancing something about the kingdom of God in this world in a way that I don't even show up in that category. And I can stand right next door to the gospel and feel like I am the least of other pastors. You know, you guys might relate to this, right? We, we started a, uh, a marriage course. It's called Cherish. Running it on Thursday nights. It's limited. You know, we can only put like 15 couples in it at a time. So I'm sure we'll run it again. But you guys heard us mention it a couple of weeks ago. And maybe you've seen a little bit of promotional material about it. But just ponder with me, gentlemen. Um, how many of you guys are just really eager to go sit in a course that's about cherishing your spouse? Cherishing. You know, being really mindful of your spouse, tuning in to their needs, getting out ahead of it, being thoughtful, flowers in abundance, cards on a regular basis, a text every few moments, I'm thinking of you, cherishing. I'm pretty sure most men are like, I ain't never going to that course, dude. <laughs> You are not going to get me in the same room with that concept because I'd be sitting there thinking, I'm the least. I totally stink at this. And you'd feel that way. And, and listen, whatever is precious to you in your life, like if you're, if you're a mom and, and you just have this great desire eagerness, you just want to be the ultimate mom. You just want to pour in your kids' lives, be everything for them. You, know, you want to grow your own blackberries and you want to make your own jam and uh, you want to sew your kids clothes and you want to have a small group meeting in your home and you want to be totally supportive of your husband. You just want to do everything that an incredible mom and wife would do while you also use your gifts and talents to develop your own business and, and do something over here on the side too. You just want to do all these things. And then when you go to do all those things, you just find you fail all over the place at all of them. And at the end of the day, you put your head on the pillow, exhausted, feeling like, okay, who'd I screw up today? Who'd I let down today? Who'd I not show up for today? 
Listen, it's very easy when you get something better than you in the same room with you to come up with that word least. I feel like the least. And listen, I I get that books can make us feel that way. The latest uh, podcast you could listen to or somebody's just going on and on about something great that they're experiencing in some category that you live in and you just break out the comparison because that's not you and you want to avoid those things. Uh, But the Bible doesn't avoid them. And that's an interesting thing. Obviously, we need something besides avoidance here, right? So let me break this news to you in your outline I wrote. At some point, we will have front row seats to our fallen life feature film, right? At some point, the realities of how a fallen world, sin, weakness, and the devil engage human life will create its own story in our lives, And we're going to break out words like, I'm the least. I'm unworthy. In that moment, we will need a massively convincing truth. The ultimate principle for my life. Something's going to need to be bigger than that. The thing that defines me. The determiner. The historic precedent. right? The Supreme Court. The final ruling. The Constitution. The most fundamental thing about my life needs to scream at me in that moment. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, let me, let me just set before us something. I, I think in our, even in our attempts to be uh, faithful to God's word, I think we have perhaps become influenced that we want to stay away from ever having the word to feel a certain way. And when you and I come into the conversation, uh, in, invariably, we're going to feel like we've been discussing. But the Bible is going to bring us into the conversation, right? Let me just show you some places where it does that. And it does it for a reason. It does it intentionally, right? So appropriate self-awareness is biblical and it's needed. And I don't go off the deep end, right? We're not to dwell on self-awareness, but neither are we to silence self-awareness, right? So here's an, a need for appropriate self-awareness. Romans chapter 3, the gospel gets introduced to us in passages that we need to have memorized so we can share the gospel by bringing self-awareness into our minds, right? It's going to set something about you into the conversation while it's trying to tell you this incredible good news about what Christ has done. Romans 3 verse 9, Paul says, we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, As it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There's a Bible breaking out words that are describing our condition. Another word for unworthy, just worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Anybody want to get an attorney and argue with this? Really? Wait, wait, I've done some good. Come on. And the Bible insists. It won't even have a discussion with you. No, no one. Does that include you? I, I guess it does. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. How interesting that such incredible good news can sit in the same paragraph with such a horrible description. That's not an accident. It's like you need to see both of these things to see what God is revealing in the grace of God. If you strip away what came before it, trust me, that grace goes from being a gazillion pound boulder to a little pebble. There's something about self-awareness that's needed to see this. Paul's going to turn around and help the Corinthians with some of their struggles, some of their sin struggles between them relationally. Remember, they were very divisive. There's a lot of tribalism going on. They were loyal to this teacher, but not that one. They felt they were superior to some others. They thought they had arrived in some real spiritual ways that other people didn't and hadn't. Here's how Paul helps them in that moment. They break out this division problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
And then Paul addresses it this way. Chapter 1, verse 26. He says, well, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. These These are not flattering comments, are they? Right? They just got finished telling you, hey, you're not wise, not powerful, not noble, uh, foolish. But the emphasis is on what God chose to do. You are in this amazing place by the grace of God. You are what you are, O Corinthians. God chose. He chose what's weak in the world. To shame the strong, right? Most of us, I don't want to stand in a group and say, hey, there's me in the picture. Look how weak. I want to to be impressed. I want, no, wow, look at, hey, that's me right there. You can tell, bulging biceps, me, yeah. No, how how about weak? God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that, God, why do you do it this way? So that, No human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of him, this is what grace is. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? This is a divine strategy from God. This is God bringing our disqualification into the conversation so that we would reach for something else, so that we would not seek to bolster that, build it, and then therefore boast in it. This boasting thing goes all the way back. He's quoting Jeremiah the prophet. Let not the rich man boast in his riches or the mighty man boast in his might. Right, But let him who boasts, boasts in this that he understands and knows me. See, God knew in our fallen condition, if this ever becomes about something that you and I can become good at, can do, that's where all the attention will go. It will always be about our contribution. So when God has a conversation with us, he starts by disqualifying our contribution and turning our attention to him. And he does that on purpose. But you do hear that he pulls the realities of our lives into these conversations. Paul's going to do that again to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now just stop for a second, because those labels suited the Corinthians, and they had stories that went along with them. Maybe some of us do. Maybe some really terrible things have happened. Maybe greed has destroyed relationships in your background, and right now you know that. You look back over your life. Maybe, maybe drunkenness was a factor. Maybe it was a DWI factor and somebody is affected by the fact that you ran into them, damaged them. And so, I mean, when this comes up for you, it's got some weight to it, right? These are real experiences from our lives that Paul then brings them up and then he says this to them. And such were some of you. But you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Remember that old story that was yours? It was yours. That reality is what makes this other reality so enormous. If you pull that out of the conversation, the back end of the conversation doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have the weight to it. You were these things. That really was the contribution we were making. But I am what I am by the grace of God. You Okay, you were washed. I've been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. 
that was done to you by somebody else besides you. That's what grace does. By the grace of God. I am what I am. And so the Bible doesn't want to avoid a sense of appropriate, healthy self-awareness. Don't buy the modern script. As a matter of fact, if you are totally obliviously not self-aware, it has probably become a problem for you in other categories of your life, in the way you relate to people, how you walk out your walk, what you expect from others, how you treat them. I wonder from the Apostle Paul's standpoint, how did his appropriate self-awareness that when he comes into the picture frame, he is aware of an unworthiness and a leastness about him. When that comes in, what do you think that did for Paul's humility and his compassion and his patience as he dealt with other people who were going through their issues? See, if, if I've got no appropriate self-awareness about the fact that, you know, I'm in touch with my own humanity. Not everything in my life just goes away the second I say it, go away. I don't overcome everything instantaneously. There are some things in my life where God treated them that way and by the grace of God, that's how they felt. And then there are others where it's one boxing match after another. There's blood on the ground and there's another day to fight. And uh, today I got beat up bad. And well, tomorrow was a lot better. And then the next day I got bludgeoned again. You know, when, when Paul gets around or you and I get around other people and I have that self-awareness in me and, and you are facing your own humanity and you just can't say in the name of Jesus, stop. And it stops. And you wish everything happened that way. And you get dealt with. By what? By some non-aware, self-righteous person who's read a bunch of Bible verses that I can throw and stick on your forehead? And I can't understand what is wrong with you? And, come on, don't you love God? What, what? Like, I don't even get that. No, I do get it. I do get it because I have my own story. I do get it because all those titles and categories that I get to wear, I get that. I'm not writing a lot of books out of how perfectly I did those things. I do get that. And so when I come to your story and you need somebody to be there humbly with you walking, that's the apostle Paul here. This, this awareness can be a very healthy thing in our lives. Don't, don't let people convince you to steer away from it and don't ever get near it. Right? It's, it's a, an aspect of our humility. It's an aspect of our gratitude. It's an aspect of our worship and our thanksgiving to God. Right, a couple of examples here where, interestingly, self-awareness is applauded and self-ignorance is criticized. Luke chapter 7 tells a story of the day Jesus came into an important man's house to have a meal there with him. A man named Simon. He was a mover and shaker. Influential guy. People knew who Simon was. And of course he'd have Jesus over. He was like the guy in town. If you're going to have dinner, you're going to have dinner at Simon's house. Jesus comes in and this woman comes in with him. And she spends her time there just in tears at Jesus' feet. And Jesus responds to Simon at some point because Simon turns around and says, hey, you know, does he know who she is? Everybody else does. She's got a resume, man. If he knew who she was, he would not let her be hanging around his feet like that. Jesus gets wind of that and he says, Simon, can I tell you a story? He says, sure. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with 
ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. What's the difference between these two people in the presence of Jesus? One knows her resume and the other one doesn't. Does Jesus have a problem with her for her groveling and her tears and No, he notices that the guy over there who lacks gratitude and humility and worship in his heart is because he thinks there's little to be forgiven in his life. He doesn't know himself. She, on the other hand, she knows has a lot to be forgiven. And what did it do to her? Well, it didn't make her run from Jesus. It made her run to him. It's it's interesting that she's even in this guy's house, right? She's in somebody else's house. She's not well thought of. That didn't stop her. She found her way into that guy's house and sits at Jesus' feet and washes his feet and cries tears. So there's there's something healthy about appropriate self-awareness in the presence of God. Remember, Jesus is going to say something to the Pharisee and the penitent sinner who come before God in worship one day, right? And the Pharisee stands before God and his presentation sounds like, I thank thee, O God, that I am not like other men, sinners. And then there's the poor sinner who comes before the throne of God and in prayer says, O Lord, have Mercy on me, a sinner. Which one of those guys was approved by Jesus? The second one. He wasn't scolded because he was in touch with his own unworthiness. That unworthiness did something for him. It caused him to be bankrupt and pursuing of God's worthiness. It caused him to look away from himself To God, it awoke in him what was in Paul when Paul says, hey, here's the gospel, guys, pan out. There's me, unworthy and the least. But Paul is the, and he's going to go on and describe, we'll talk about next week, he's going to go on and describe. Paul, the trajectory of Paul's life is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, wait a minute, Paul, if you're sitting around thinking about how unworthy you are and how you're the least of these, what, are you just like depressed? sitting inside somewhere, staring at your navel, all bugged and you can't serve God. No, no, this guy is turning the world upside down out of an awareness of the gospel and his own unworthiness and that he's the least of the apostles. So there's something about how the Bible talks about all these things and puts them all in the same paragraph that somehow we can't seem to get in the same paragraph together and feel comfortable with this. But it's the way the Bible sounds. I don't get to adjust the Bible. Bible sounds this way. And let me just warn us about something. I definitely think there's just way too much uh, anger and frustration in the Christian life. I don't mean just in the world out there. The world's full of that. But Christians can be that way. Right? Just be these persnickety, difficult people to be around. Uh, angry at themselves often. Angry at others. You start feeling like you're the least that just sends off something in people's categories that makes them all freaked out and all bothered by that. And just, I don't want to be around that. You know, I don't even want to come to church because when I come to church, I get on you. I just feel like, you feel like what? You feel like you're less than somebody else? Yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm looked down upon. I feel like I'm not measuring up, right? Okay, so this is the feel that Christianity can take on in this category. And Paul says something to the Galatians that's just so helpful and so insightful in the same category. He said to them in chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 5. It's like he's trying to reason with them. He's saying, can you guys get this? Does does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Does God show up in your life and do stuff that's amazing and miraculous and powerful and he dispenses himself in your life? Does he do that because you're having a pretty good day? You're this really consistent Christian. You're this really good, amazing person. Does he do it for that reason? Or does he do it by grace in your life? That's the question he's asking them. And then he explains what he means. He says, you know, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So then, in verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. Right, so you, you've got this posture of you're the blessed ones. You're the favored ones, just like Abraham. But if you don't know Abraham's story, you don't get the illustration here. What do you mean just like Abraham? Like, well, well who was Abraham? Was Abraham this guy that was really, really, really devoted to God? He had, he had dealt with everything bad in his life. He was walking this consistent walk with God. Read his Bible every day. Treated people right. Was wanting to see the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Was that Abraham when God showed up in his life? No. The Bible says that Abraham was an idol worshiper. In the land of Ur, he vigorously worshiped the wrong God. He was like Paul, sincerely convinced that what he was doing was right, but it was totally wrong. You're worshiping a false God, Abraham. And God shows up at his door. That's the same thing that happens to Paul. Paul said, I was a persecutor of the church. And God showed up in my life. Did Paul deserve for God to do any of this stuff? Did Abraham deserve for God to do any of this stuff? What was the basis for God to do any of this stuff? By the grace of God, I am what I am. That was Paul's basis. That was Abraham's basis. And Paul tells the Galatians, that's your basis. Verse 10. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You're cursed every day of your life. You get up and you get on a treadmill that you cannot keep up with every day of your life. And you run and you run and you run and you're exhausted and you're worn out and you've tried and you've tried harder and life gets worse and life gets hard and your interpretation of that is what? It's because I'm failing. It's because I'm not a good enough this. I'm not a good enough that. I'm the least of these. I don't show up here. I'm unfaithful and I haven't been to church in forever. I don't read my Bible well enough. I don't, I don't witness well enough, right? I've got all these reasons why God can't be doing anything good in my life. And Paul tells the Galatians, uh, that's not how it works. Whatever it is you're going to have in your life, you are that by the grace of God. Not by your resume. So let me just close a little bit here and some, some warning about this. And I'll unpack some of this a little further next week. When our means of being what I would call gospel-centered, because that's... that's a, Gospel center is the latest phrase that's trying to make sure the grace of God doesn't get lost in our understandings. And it's a good phrase. But when our means of being gospel centered involves silencing self-awareness, don't bring me up. Don't correct me. Don't talk to me about me when that's where I'm going. It gives away that we rely on our works to make us feel like we have a hopeful future and we will receive God's favor in our lives. It gives it away. Because if you bring up my failures and I don't see it in the frame of the gospel in a way that that doesn't control me, if it controls me, it's because that's my means of getting God to be on my side. And that's never how God operates. But if you're one of those, no, no, don't show me me. I don't want to see me. Why not? What if you saw you and you threw the label on it? Unworthy. Least. 
What if you did that? Well, that's exactly what Paul does in this passage, in the presence of the gospel. So there's something about the Bible's okay with the conversation having that kind of stuff in it and having the gospel in it. I think Paul was gospel-centered, I think. Now be careful. Be careful that you don't find some principles that you begin to label them as important and you set them up as the means about which you're going to feel good about your life and your future and your faithfulness and your fruitfulness. So, so whether that's uh, how good you feel about your parenting the influence you're having on your kids and how consistent you're doing that and how serious you take it, how much you read and study and prepare, whether that's how you're doing in your marriage, how you're doing as a disciple of Jesus Christ, how well you are fulfilling the great commission and that becomes something of a measuring rod about which you feel a certain way about your life because, hey, you're on with that and you're doing well with that. Be careful, that's a curse. If that becomes a means for you to get what only grace can bring to your life, that's a curse. And if you want to know whether you're underneath that curse, just look for stuff in your life, in, in your spiritual category especially, in your church activity, that feels angry, depressed, unmotivated. Right? When that begins to be what I feel like spiritually, it begins to give away I'm not standing here with a sense of, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm laboring by my own efforts, I am what I am. If I want a good life, it's going to be because of my seeking and trying and consistently pulling off having a good life. That's, well, you're going to get worn out by that, and you're going to absolutely hate that. I'll pray for us in just a second. Eric, you can come back up. I think I put this last paragraph in your notes. Right. The Bible has this conversation with us where it brings these things up. It, it brings up our resume right alongside the grace of God. It does that. And we'll see again next week it does that. But when you're telling the Bible, right, stop telling me about my past or my falling short. And you're shut down by that or you're frustrated or angered by that. It's because you believe that something about you is what creates the goodness of your life. Something about you is what generates the favor and fruitfulness in the future of your life. But what if you became convinced that by the grace of God, I am what I am and I will be whatever God by his grace is insistent that I be. Then you would have a means of living with yourself. Because the self that has failed will keep on failing. It's going to be with you until you are glorified. Until you get a new body and you're in heaven where there is no fallen sin to deal with. You are going to still fall short. If you plan to silence the voice of failure or to avoid self-awareness or to finally perform at a high level, then you are going to live a very frustrated and angry Christian life. But that's not what God has for you or for me. Aren't you grateful? That God wants the bumper sticker of our lives to be able to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's stand up together. Father, might it be that we came here this morning with an undiagnosed illness. We've got the symptoms, though. Frustration. We lack motivation to try. 
angry because we're so in touch and so aware that our efforts are failing. We've got guilt. Guilt that we want to silence, a guilt that we just want to not have any knowledge of the things of our lives that have touched categories like guilt. Now, those are the symptoms of something else. Well, those those be the symptoms that have alienated us from church. Getting around other Christians makes us feel like we're the least of these people. Lord, what do we do with that? For the Apostle Paul, he could see those things about himself. And in the next breath, he was convinced that by the grace of God, I am what I am. The trajectory of his life, the good of his life, the promise of his life, the faithfulness of a God who would be involved in his life was not controlled by his past, his failures, his falling short, his ignorant unbelief. Would you help us right now in this room, those who are watching, Lord, would you help us Would help us to be aware of the bigness of your grace, the determination of your grace, the insistence of your grace, the unfailingness of your grace, the pushiness of your grace. That you find your way into our lives, no matter what our resume, no matter what kind of ignorant unbelief has characterized our lives. Lord, in this moment, what we know about you is that by grace you have pursued us and you are at work in our lives and you are relentless, Lord. You are faithful to that grace. So God, would you you help? Lord, as we wrestle with frustration and anger, Lord, help Help this grace, Lord, to prevail. Help it to stand in the conversation with us no matter what our past, our recent activity, no matter what that voice sounds like. God, would you make the voice of your grace to be louder and deeper and more effective. God, thank you that whether I'm Isaiah, John the Baptist, Roman centurion, the apostle Paul, or Keith Collins. By the grace of God, I am who I am. So let me just encourage anybody who's here or anybody who's joining us, live stream. There's something about the Bible and there's something about religion in general that that features and highlights goodness, right? It's about good things. It's about being good. It's about having morals. It's about not doing certain things and doing other things. And that's all mixed into, that's in the Bible. But it's never in the Bible as a means to make us right with God. It's never in the Bible that way. The only way to be made right with God is for God to do it for you. For him to come find you. With all your resume, with all your issues, how terrible some of our past sins have been, how costly to others, none of that disqualifies you from receiving the grace of God. So if you you are... Maybe you're full speed ahead with the best of efforts and religion trying to be a good person. Can I just encourage you today? Cast yourselves on the grace of God. Take your life with all that you're ashamed of and all that's broken about you. Don't act like it didn't happen. Just present that to God and say, God, thank you that this stuff doesn't keep you from me. Doesn't deter you. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 
And maybe you can argue with the Apostle Paul, of sinners, I am the foremost. But it doesn't stop him from saving you. So today, if you want to receive that grace, tell God that. God, I want to receive that grace. I know I can't do good enough to get it. Can I just receive it? Can I just receive your grace into my life? Can I receive your life back into my soul? And would you just receive me to walk with you for the rest of my life? God, just give you all the bumps and bruises and wrong things about me. I just give that to you and trust it to you. Come be my savior. Come be my life. Come make me all that you wanted me to be by the grace of God. Listen, if you're praying that prayer and maybe you've never prayed that prayer that way before, can you let us know? Maybe you're here this morning. You want to just come talk to me after the service. Please do that. Contact us at church. There's contact information on our uh, webpage and on our, our app. Contact us. We'd love to connect with you further and pray with you and encourage you in the next steps that God has for your life. But may we all hang this bumper sticker on our life this week. By the grace of God, we are what we are. Amen? See you guys next week. <laughs>